0: Dark and dusted drapes lit in some light. Tell the boy come get my trunk. Cause I'm living here tonight. Hey everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you, Meryl McNally?
1: I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. Before we dive in,
0: uh, congratulations on making it to our 50th review. Woo-hoo!
1: Way to go, us. Oh. It's been a while.
0: It's been a while.
1: When, when do we? Right. We, we recorded the first in 2016 and it
0: went
1: awry. Yeah. Right? Do I have yeah. the year? Yeah.
0: Yes, for anybody who doesn't know, because maybe I've never shared this, we recorded a pilot episode, and if I remember correctly, then I had to go to you and say, it didn't record. Like, yeah. th- we had talked for like an hour, two hours, something like that, and I said, Meryl, none of it's there. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you were willing to do this podcast with me anyway.
1: <laughs> I know, and it took us a year to re-record, and then yep. we ended up recording right before the Golden Globes where Meryl's kind of went the what for
0: yeah yeah which was great and um we we were just discussing how the quality of our audio has improved pretty steadily since then and we i I just want to acknowledge that those first few episodes are terrible i mean like unlistenable i i'm surprised anybody does listen to those first ones
1: Yeah, I'm just so surprised that nobody has ever complained and still given us good ratings. Thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're here to talk about Meryl Streep's third Oscar winning, The Iron Lady, which is a really unique one to talk about for the 50th episode. But before we dive in, as always, let's talk about some other stuff. And I will put a timestamp in for if you want to skip all of this. I don't know why you would. But if you want to skip all this and go right to the Iron Lady, I will put a timestamp in the show notes so you can skip over us chattering away on other things. But um, what have you seen in the meantime?
1: I've seen three doozies in a row okay. and in the movie theater, which is very unusual post pandemic. But I saw everything everywhere all at once. I don't mm-hmm. think we've talked since I've seen that. Right.
0: Nope. Definitely
1: Northmen. Oh, okay. Yep. And then Top Gun Maverick.
0: I have also seen Top Gun Maverick. Can't wait to talk about it, but you go talk about, talk about all of them.
1: Have you seen the other two? No.
0: I've not seen the other two.
1: I gotta say these three movies in a row really hit it out of the ballpark. Like they were just, they like every single one of them is so maximalist. Yeah. <laughs> like you just like, the point is going in and getting sort of bombarded by <laughs> sensory overload and, and bonkers things and um it's been a delight i've had a delightful movie going experience in the last few months since we spoke um and i highly recommend all three the northman is bonkers listen they're all bonkers in a really unique way yep (laughs) Okay, I'll go in chronological order. Um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is a joy. I recommend it to everyone. I recommend seeing it in the movie theater because of its scope. And uh, Michelle Yeoh is uh, just magnificent. It's a true comeback for um, the kid from the Goonies and Indiana Jones. But anyway, he's data in the Goonies. Have you ever seen? Oh yeah. Yeah, data. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's the true comeback for for data from the Goonies, who went behind the camera as he got older, because, you know, as we all know, Hollywood is famously terrible at at providing opportunities to Asian-American actors. And um, obviously there's been an increase in visibility and projects and He plays uh, Michelle Yeoh's husband and he's just the heart of the movie. He's absolutely wonderful. Go see it. Everybody in it's wonderful.
0: I've been excited to see it. I've been wanting to see it by the time, um, you know, it kind of word. I can't remember the last time there was like a word of mouth movie like that one where everybody who's seen it has been like, you've got to experience this in the theater, you know, by the time the word of mouth got to me, um, it had left theaters, which is too bad because I really would have liked to have that like fully immersive experience of like in the theater, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it was worth it. I really enjoyed it. The, the Northmen, uh, wow. Um, it's Hamlet sort of taken back to its roots, um, in the sort of Viking era. It's, um, Robert Eggers who Mm -hmm. did the lighthouse with um, Willem
0: Dafoe.
1: Yeah, Willem Dafoe. I'm not remembering names today. Guys, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm just like that. <laughs> I also recommend it. It's a weird trippy experience, though. You will feel like you've taken drugs. <laughs> it's Alexander Skarsgård sort of at his at peak Alexander Skarsgård. Sure. Um, but also totally worth seeing. It's really unique filmmaking
0: i've been curious about that one too although it seems a little like i don't know it seems like game of thronesy to me and that like i don't it probably isn't but
1: well i mean i hear what you're saying because it's 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 got a little bit of that vibe with with you know the way the game of thrones chose to like costume and and create sort of this medieval world it's got that vibe to it um He's very meticulous about historical accuracy, mm. and and um, I would say also sort of diving into otherworldly or spiritual elements. Um, and because Viking culture was so wrapped up in its like it's religion was part of its everyday life and everyday life was the religion. You know, there was that, that crossover. He really digs into that a little bit. Um, it it's just bizarre. Like at one point in the beginning, Ethan Hawke plays Alexander Skarsgård's father. Um, it is the story of Hamlet. Like there's no deviation. It's just set in sort of Viking era. And, um, at like one point he takes his son to like the temple and they're doing this ritual and they are pretending to be dogs and i think the chat the only challenge for me in it is when you're watching really famous people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: who are not necessarily lost into their character (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, watching ethan hawk crawl around and pretend that he's a dog is a little bit jarring i'm like yeah but you're ethan hawk (laughs) Like, I I would have almost preferred to see somebody who was not famous in in the role um, to embrace it a little bit more. Um, But it's it's a fascinating watch, for sure. It's a study. And then Top Gun Maverick. Let's talk about Top Gun Maverick.
0: I I mean, how could you not love it? It was just
1: (laughs) it was so good.
0: It was, you know, here's what. Here's what I kind of appreciated about it is like, I don't know, every once in a while, and I'm not thinking of anything specific when I say this, but you know, when they kind of like bring back something or they reboot something or whatever, it has a tendency to kind of take itself too seriously. Sometimes this one is not one of those, like it knows exactly what it was supposed to be. It was like, the story could not have been more like you could write a one line synopsis pretty easily with that movie. You know what I mean? 100% and I really appreciated that like there was a mission that was what they were there to do like there were a couple like sort you know like obviously the Miles Teller stuff was you know a whole secondary story there's a B story there's even a C story with Jennifer Conley and all of that but like really truly like the action sequences are fantastic um you know it's just storytelling without trying to be too full of itself and like make you think too much it is a very basic like here's what's happening watch some incredible visuals and uh have a good time i just i did think it was interesting that they did not name who the enemy was in this movie did you think about that at all
1: yeah for sure and like literally
0: keep saying the enemy and don't say who it is
1: yeah, they really don't. And you know, the first one, there, there's obviously some mention of Mig's in the first film from mm-hmm. 1986, and and you have an idea that it's Russia. But for the most part, you don't see any markings. You like the the enemies wearing all black. They really lean into that even more and remove any any identifying factors. Um, it didn't surprise me.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, for a Tom Cruise movie, it makes sense because they play so well in overseas markets that like literally not offending any of them and having them play there is a thing.
1: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. There's no fat. There's just no fat to trim off of this movie. They edited it within an inch of its life. And I was also incredibly impressed that the action sequences up in the air I was completely aware of what was happening in relation to everything else at all times, which is really hard to do. If you watch the original movie, they're fighting up in the air, but you have no idea right. what their relation to the ground is, what their relation to each other is. Like you don't have a sense of the the um, sort of geography of those flight sequences, mostly because you know they had to do it. In fake cockpits. It's not actual flight footage. I think for the most part, this is real flight footage.
0: Uh, he that was actually one of his um things. He he said he wasn't willing to come back to this film unless they didn't do any CGI or green screen. He wanted it all to be real. Now that's not to say that there aren't some stunt people. I'm right. sure there are. Um, but he I guess designed, he personally designed a three-month course for the younger actors miles tiller and all those younger people to like take in order to be able like they would apparently go up film all this stuff and come back with the footage you know like this they were really flying a lot of that stuff themselves and like i said i'm sure there are stunt um pilots or whatever you want to call it stunt people doing a lot of that flying but apparently none of CGI. there's no green screen stuff everything you're seeing is actually uh filmed by somebody doing it live which is kind of why it's insane
1: I think that it's a huge part of why it's such a thrilling experience to watch in the movie theater. You're just, it's not that it's the same, but it's it's kind of like the difference between the original Jurassic Park and the newer Mm -hmm. Jurassic Parks. It's like 100%. you know they built these giant animatronic puppets for the first one, and you you can feel that physical presence uh, when you go to watch that movie, as opposed to CGI dinosaurs. And I think it's the same thing in this. Um, God, I just I just enjoyed it so much. I will say that I was I. <laughs> The first one is so beautifully homoerotic in ways that the actors are not even aware, and I get a lot of joy out of it, as as do many people. And the second one is like completely void of it, for yeah. Um, yeah. and I think intentionally so. Yeah, yeah. They, they
0: they made some interesting callbacks, and there were some you know things were like they did the volleyball scene, but you could tell it was because they had to. You know, like they didn't really yeah. want to do that, and it didn't serve that much of a purpose but um, i also i think it goes without saying to anybody who listens to this podcast but like you know i don't want to sound like we're making a tacit endorsement of tom cruise he's a very problematic person scientology bad all of that um i feel like there are also questions about this movie there's a lot of rah-rah kind of you know it's
1: certainly a pro-military movie right and i
0: don't you know i mean it's very complicated it is what it is If you go into it, and I I feel bad saying that because, you know, like, yes, we are supporting them. And so we're making a choice by doing that. But, um, you know, if you look at it in terms of, like, pure escapist fun, this is, like, the movie of the... I mean, like, I've been waiting for this movie for a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a really great escape movie. It's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah.
1: And I... I really loved Miles Teller in it and I wanted, I actually wanted a little bit more between Mm. him and Maverick. Um, I just felt like the backstory wasn't entirely clear. Did he grow up with him in his life? Did he not? He's got pictures of him playing like baseball when he's little, but you just like, there's a, there's some question marks there in terms of, their relationship i think that i would have liked to know
0: yeah i guess i don't know how old he was you know in the first movie when he died
1: um goose he's little he's like two or three
0: yeah yeah i would yeah yeah, so he probably, and I mean, if he was in the, if he was in the Air Force, he probably wasn't around much up until then. Yeah, that's probably the thing is like when, you you know, two or three, then you don't really have memories of your dad. He's probably basically.
1: Yeah. The- oh, no, I meant Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's character. Like how much oh. was he, sorry, how much was he in, in R- Rooster's life? Because I, I, yeah, him yeah. pulling his papers from the Navy Academy has got a lot more sting to it. If he's like a second father to him, you know? yeah so raises the stakes and it was just like a little bit of a missing piece there for me
0: yeah yeah i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. i got i got the impression not very much but enough that like they knew each other yeah. You know?
1: but, yeah i do love though anthony edwards and goose is my favorite part of the first movie he he makes he's Every piece of humor centers around him. He's the heart of the movie. His, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the original, but it's been several years, so I'm gonna spoil. Um, His death is just gut-wrenching because you love him so much. Um, And if you take Anthony Edwards out of Top Gun and the character, the, the movie has far less personality. And I love that this second movie really does center around him as well, even though he's not there. Um, They were, it was a smart move. It's just really fun. Go see it, go go enjoy yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I saw it uh, at an IMAX.
1: Yeah, Um, me too.
0: Did you? And see, I, that was the thing is like when I've gone to see movies, there's this one around us that's a lot cheaper than the others. But it's kind of like one of those like old school kind of like rundown movie theater places where, yeah, it's a big screen, but it's like nothing special, you know, um, but it's also cheap and, you know. Um, and so I was like, no, for this one, we're going for a real one with IMAX. And I'm sort of glad I did, but also IMAX is not what I remember it being, or at least the IMAX I went to was not like this kind of shockingly amazing experience. Like I remember IMAX being a whole, like, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I did not have that experience with this.
1: I'm so glad you said that because the same thing happened to me.
0: Yeah. I, paid. I
1: haven't been to an IMAX in years and I remember it being like, this is so huge and
0: amazing. It felt like just like a slightly bigger movie screen. It did not seem that impressive to me. And it's a lot, lot, lot more money. I mean, I paid uh like three times as much, I think even more than that. Three times as much of what the like you know rundown theater would be. And yeah. I was like, this is not worth that. You know that. Yeah,
1: be- I agree. I and I know. I know they use a special camera to be able to put it on IMAX. It's supposed to improve the quality. I think yeah. we're so used to watching, like we have such great screen quality at home now too. Right. that right. it's really hard for us to tell the difference. Yeah, I don't, It's it didn't feel worth the uptick in price for me either. I agree.
0: Yeah, nice. Do you see anything else that you wanted to mention?
1: I watched the Stranger Things season four, the first part of season four. Uh, meh, it's fine. Yeah. Um, That's really all there is to say about that. What else? Oh, I was very, very excited for the Conversations with Friends adaptation on Hulu of the Sarah Rooney book. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Sarah Rooney fan. I Conversations with Friends is my favorite book of hers. They did a great job adapting normal people. So I was quite hopeful. It was not great. (laughs) So that was kind of sad. But that's it, really. I mean, I say that's it. Three movies, two TV shows. It's not bad.
0: Yeah, it's not bad at all. It's been a while since we chatted. So yeah. Yeah. How about you? What have you been watching? Top Gun. That's the only thing I've seen in the theater. Um, I did watch, I i watched two things that I thought to bring up. One, um, in fact, I have it right here. I'll show it to you because that works really well in a podcast format. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Death? Oh,
1: yeah. It? No, I listened to the podcast. I can't watch it. I can't. No. The, no. <laughs> the podcast was so disturbing to me.
0: I think the podcast was worse in terms of the disturbing. Okay. I, I'm super queasy and I just basically like looked away, but nothing super important happens. It's very clear when they're like going into surgery, what's gonna, you know, you can like look away for a minute or two and come back. You won't miss anything important. It didn't affect my ability to watch the show. And I'm super. Uh, the reason I say this is because Grace Gummer is one of the like real leads of this. Oh, cool. Yeah, one of Meryl's daughters. She plays Joshua Jackson, who that's one of the Dawson's Creek guys, right?
1: Yes, Pacey.
0: Um, I've never seen Dawson's Creek in my life. But um, so anyway, I, I'm not saying this only, you know, for any real reason, because I would say it falls squarely in the meh category that you were just describing. Like, it's yeah. totally fine. It's very watchable. There's also nothing super new in terms of like, if you listen to the podcast, there's nothing here that's going to like be new information. I did think it was kind of interesting that they really... They've done this a couple other times. I think Dope Sick, um, which I have not watched yet, but I, I believe they did this too. They really kind of like put the medical community on trial. And like they were, they kind of at the end were really pretty hard with the statistics. You know, they really leaned into the fact that there's a lot of sketchy stuff that happens out there on the reg. And, uh, you know, there's not enough kind of like oversight in terms of like uh, what people are away, allowed to get away with for, for many years. Um, so, I appreciated that. Maybe they did that on a podcast too, and I've forgotten. But um, so, anyway, that's I think that's on Peacock. Um, I got the DVD at the library here. And then the only other thing, and this is um, I don't know if everybody who listens, I don't know if I've said this, but I'm about to become a dad like literally any day now. And so exciting. I, I, um, I've, I watched one of the Oscar ones that I had not seen when last we talked, which was Parallel Mothers. And do you know what that one is about?
1: No. I mean, I I know what it is, but I I have not seen it or read anything about it.
0: It is a fascinating, and if you're about to become a parent, a truly terrifying story. of. I mean, it's, I mean, parallel mothers. It's about, it's about mothers and like, basically like two women who give birth and become friends in the hospital, kind of like at the same time they meet in the hospital because they're both there giving birth. And, um, the babies are switched, not on purpose, not, not through like somebody trying to get away with anything, but they're accidentally switched. And then one of them survives and the other doesn't. And so it becomes this guilt thing of the one who has a surviving parent. Like how does she reconcile because she knows that it was switched after a while. It's, it's just not the movie you want to watch if you're about to become. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds
1: really stressful.
0: It was so good, though. I mean, Penelope Cruz is so fantastic in this movie. I'm surprised, you know, she got the nomination and it's a foreign film. So I guess sometimes that's like, unfortunately, like as far as it goes, sometimes for people in foreign films, because not everybody sees those movies. But I'm surprised she wasn't in the conversation more because, damn, she was good in this movie.
1: Man, it's funny how that happens. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Speaking of Oscars...
0: (laughs) Oh,
1: God, here we go. I guess we should throw our two cents in. Yeah. Um,
0: we have been asked to comment on it, so, you know.
1: Yeah, so the slap. Everybody knows about the slap by now. Yeah. Ah, oh, listen, it was just so unfortunate. Listen, when I watched it happen, it was quite stressful. And I think that's probably true for everybody. I just, like, it's unfortunate that Chris Rock made the joke. It's unfortunate that Will Smith lost his temper. It's unfortunate that he slapped him across the face on national television for millions of people. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that his wife's experience got lost in the, in the mess of the drama in the aftermath and how all of that impacted her. Um, I think... I don't know i i feel like the outrage towards will smith was slightly misplaced and exaggerated i don't know i just like i'm not really i'm not really in a position to judge anybody involved i found the moment quite shocking and i still can't wrap my head around the fact that between the comment and getting up out of his chair, walking up the stairs and across the stage that he did not have a moment of clarity about maybe not doing that. Um, and that, that like, that's, that's all I got to say.
0: (laughs) Well, you and I were texting that night. Yeah. Um, we were texting. I, I think you had not seen a chunk of the beginning of the show, right? You were kind of, you were out doing something, maybe, or your TV went out or something. You, you missed a. Chunk of the beginning, I believe, or I, am I wrong?
1: I, well, yeah, something like my internet went down or something was going
0: on. So I was giving you a few updates, and um, by that point, you had caught up. So you were, I think, watching live when that happened.
1: Yeah, um, but I gone into my kitchen when this, when this when Chris Rock came on, and and everything kind of stopped, and I heard the silence, and that's right. what brought me back into the living room to look at the TV.
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, I think we were playing out in real time. What absolutely everybody who was watching was what experiencing in real time, which is when they cut the sound um, that it was sort of like when the Sopranos finale happened where everybody thought something had gone wrong with their cable. I, I think everybody just kind of assumed like it was really strange what was happening. And then the vibe when they came back was really strange because it was kind of in the midst of chaos, which is always weird. Um, and so there was a good amount of just figuring out, was that a bit, did this really happen? Was it for real? Did he, I mean, it wasn't even really clear if he had hit him to tell you the truth. No. It, it was sort of like, what did he go up there and scream at him? Like what just happened kind of thing. And I mean, as we now know, there are people in the room who didn't know what was happening. And there I mean, like, I think everybody there, nobody knew what was happening because it was the craziest shit I've ever seen happen on television. I mean, I honestly can't remember anything like that happening ever before. Yeah. That was insane. It was bonkers. I mean, to have somebody who is, I, I mean, you know, I guess we don't need to rehash this. It's been rehashed so much, but I just to reiterate this idea that somebody who is like, it was so clearly his year, you know, it was so clearly his moment, something that was going to be significant, you know, somebody who'd been there at the party a few times, but had never been given that crown before. And it was so clearly his time. And to so shortly before that, have a moment where you, I mean, like, it seemed intentional that he blew his life up to me. That's what I keep coming back to is like, he made a choice in that moment. And I don't that you're right. Like, I think any rational human being would have that moment where they decide to do it or they decide not to do it on that walk up. It wasn't a, he wasn't immediately in front of him where it was like just reaching out and doing it. He, there were several seconds. Yeah. And um, I just, it felt like somebody who was sabotaging it. And I feel like there's a lot going on. I mean, a lot of people have analyzed what might be going on with him, Um, and, you know, interviews that have come out since, you know, that David Letterman interview that he did, it's just surreal how somebody would really blow everything up. And it feels kind of intentional to me, as crazy as that sounds, it feels like somebody who just, he talked about in that David Letterman interview, which was released after the Oscars thing, but was, uh, you know, was recorded much before it. Okay had this he had this vision of his of his career being taken from him and it was almost like he was manifesting that to happen like he was like blowing it all up himself in this really strange way just so odd and so sad i mean like we can't even you and i are not the right people to talk about how sad it is that it happened to be two men of color like you know like there's just layers to this that were really
1: there really are. I mean, Chris Rock did a documentary on on hair, for, yeah, for for black women. I mean, why make that? Ju- it felt it felt a little personal. I don't know what went on behind closed doors. I think the hardest part for me was um, when he won the offer. You know, however many, an hour later, thirty minutes later, and went up. Um, you know, obviously he didn't have a speech prepared to address having just slapped somebody in the face on national television, but at least the first part of his speech was, was filled with some pretty solid rationalization about how this role he played in King Richard was about protecting those little girls and the woman who um played his wife and that he was just in protection mode and uh, i i had a, i had a difficult time with that because nothing nothing really excuses that kind of violence um,
0: and you know and he
1: knows that he's been you know he's he has been unbelievably uh gracious And, um, you know, not that that's miraculous or anything, I appreciate the way he's dealt with it in the aftermath, especially he's been, he's been quite gracious when, when people have gone overboard, like the response has been so extreme. I think, I think he's at least outward facing, he's handled it quite well after that, um, I just feel bad for everybody. I feel bad for everybody. I feel bad for Will Smith. I feel bad for Jada Pinkett Smith. I feel bad for Chris Rock. I feel bad for the Oscar producers. (laughs) I feel bad for their publicists. Like It's just, it sucks. The whole thing sucks.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly feeling, I'm having a hard time still feeling that bad for Will Smith. I mean, he's the one who did this. Totally. Um, And again, I, I think the thing that is, important to acknowledge is like yeah no i mean what what chris rocks that joke should not have been said which i think he's acknowledged too um and they were friends in some format i mean jada and um chris rock did voices in the madagascar movies and i know chris rock was on first person bill Air. like they all know each other i don't know if they're friends necessarily but um
1: i think he's made jokes in poor taste towards jada pinkett smith before so there's definitely a history there
0: Well, he hosted the Oscars the year that um, that Will Smith wasn't nominated for concussion. And so Jada Pinkett Smith very famously said she she was boycotting the Oscars that year. And he made this whole joke about uh, how can you boycott something that you weren't invited to? Basically, he was like, that'd be like me. I, he made some joke about him like boycotting sex with Rihanna or something. You know what I mean? He's like, I, it wasn't an offer that was extended to me. I can't boycott something that it wasn't there. So I mean, there has been kind of some bad blood, I'm sure, between them. But he shouldn't have said it, and I certainly don't excuse that either. But I mean, he, I, I don't know. I feel like there were times when, like, I, I mean, the strangest thing of all. We really should stop talking about this, but you know, <laughs> the strangest thing of all is like Will Smith laughed at the joke initially and then he like when the camera cut away something happened and he turned and saw Jada's reaction and then like in an instant I mean that's what I mean is something was really strange about this whole thing
1: yeah you have to be so angry like your level of anger to override your awareness of of the cameras and the audience and the moment and the context right um It's got to be so intense. I mean, I think that's the thing that I'm like, whoa. Yeah.
0: I also didn't appreciate the fact that he used that. I hate the fact that Denzel Washington and I have so much respect for was kind of used in that moment as well with that line about the devil gets you when they're, you know, when you're at the top or something like that. Mm-hmm. First of all, when the camera cut to Denzel, you couldn't you just feel him wanting to like crawl into a seat and be like, no, I, that was for you, not the whole world. You know what I mean?
1: Like, yeah.
0: I, I don't know. Like, that was another way of like trying to excuse what he had just done that I didn't think was, uh, it almost felt like him roping somebody else into it too. It, it, I didn't like that. And, um, I don't know. There was just our yeah, whole so...
1: speech was rough. That that, that was... speech was really rough.
0: And we are not the first, well. I mean, I guess I'll say it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll say it. He should never have been allowed to give that speech. He should have been ushered out of that room. He should not have been allowed to go up and accept a award. And I'm sorry, that room should not have given him a standing ovation when he won. When something like that happens, I I don't know. It's it, it just should not have happened like that. And there was there was something that happened on that stage and no matter what, what he did was wrong. Like, and as we've, as we've seen since Dave Chappelle was attacked at one of his shows, you know, like that's what, that's what we're afraid of at this point is like, you say it's okay to attack somebody, a comedian telling a joke. That's a dangerous precedent to set. You know what I mean? That yeah. is not a, I want to go down.
1: It's so I think the hardest part of that is looking at the context of the Oscars and who they've given awards to in the past and allowed sure. that you know, Roman Polanski being the most, yep. you know, it's just like, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like just, just on principle, physical violence, I think. I think for everyone trying to cope with the situation, it was easiest to, because how how can you make a rational decision when you're in fight or flight, which everyone is at that point, because they don't know what to do. (laughs) And just like act normal, like freeze. That's basically what you do. You just go into fawn and you're like, okay we're just going to keep going with this ceremony because what do you do if you don't have a best actor to accept their award? Like, I am sure to everyone, it felt like a doubling down of, of a problem with the broadcast, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't, I, I don't know if he should have been <laughs> ushered out.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, the previous year, there, Anthony Hopkins wasn't there to give his speech. You know what I mean? Like that happens. there's true. some uh, You know uh, that happens sometimes. Where um, it would have been an interesting way to deal with it, I suppose. I- I'll tell you what I do think for sure. I get, I get your counter arguing in here. I really do. Uh, here's what I, here's what I really think is true. If, like now, what has happened since, if they could go back, they would have ushered him out.
1: Yes and listen unfortunately the difference between will smith and and someone like roman polanski is that roman polanski's violence didn't happen on stage you know when you when you do something so forward-facing uh for everyone to see the reaction tends to be much greater and that's unfortunate um and and so like countering countering my own argument (laughs) Like I do get your point. Like you're going to, you're going to exercise physical violence in front of millions of people. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to step out. (laughs) Um,
0: I also, I mean, there's another really important thing that's different between those two situations, which is the culture has shifted in those 20 years. Totally. In ways Roman Polanski would not be given this opportunity in 2022. I think that that's important to acknowledge. They wouldn't give him an Oscar in 2022.
1: No, I don't think so. No, that's true.
0: I don't think there's any, I, I really don't. I mean, I guess stranger things have happened, but you know, I just don't think there's any chance. So it's not that like, I, I certainly don't mean to sound like I'm excusing the Roman Polanski thing. All I mean by that is like 20 years ago, which I think is about right. It would have been about then, um, you know, it, the culture, unfortunately, I mean, there are a lot of people who didn't know, and not people in the room, I'm sure all knew, but you know what I mean, like the billions of people who watch that show on TV, there's a lot of people who didn't know who Roman Plansky is, you know? Yeah, there are a lot of people who did know then, um, but I I don't know. I think it is slightly different under under context of all of that, too. But, well, listen, you and I can solve all the problems of the world, but.
1: <laughs> We've discussed the I have no answers for anybody. It's just really unfortunate. The whole thing is really sad. Yeah,
0: it's, it's funny too, because as you mentioned earlier, our show got a big boost because of an award show speech. And now we're like the last people to talk about this. Like now that the topic is exhausted, here we are talking about it.
1: I know. I'm in a way, I'm glad. Like I, I texted you and asked if we should do like a special episode to talk about it. And we, and you, you kind of said, "Well, let's wait and see." I'm so glad we did because, because it, it was exhausted, and um, everyone, everyone's got their opinion on it. We certainly do as well. Um, at the end of the day, I just hope everybody's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, there was just chaos in that moment. And it sort of felt like we don't really know what happened yet. We can't really talk about this thing until we know what was, you know, there's more to the story clearly. And um, actually, I guess what it comes down to is we kind of did know, you know what I mean? Like that night, we kind of did know as much as we know now in some ways, you know, we didn't know. If we'd have done that episode we didn't know we wouldn't have known what will smith's punishment was but you know outside of that really nothing has you know changed since that day so
1: you know interestingly anyway. i thought about this you know he he's obviously linked to scientology as well um he is from from what i know universally loved in the industry everyone who works with them speaks so highly of him of his kindness his generosity these are similar narratives around Tom Cruise. Um, right. there's, there's so much problematic about Scientology and his involvement in it. But if you speak to anyone who's worked with him on set, I mean, universally loved, I've never heard a bad word. And I'm just like, I'm curious, what would we have done if Tom Cruise had slapped somebody in the face? Like, I'm like I think about that. I'm like, huh, this is interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, food for thought. Yeah. Well, shall we go on to our 50th review? Shall we do it?
1: Okay.
0: On to other sorts of world problems in the, in the form of Margaret Thatcher's reign. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, the Iron Lady is, oh man, you know what? I don't have this pulled up. Um, I think it's from 2012. Does that sound right? Let me pull this up. Sure. We need a moment to gather our thoughts or I need a moment to gather my thoughts. I usually have like some of that.
1: Essential.
0: Is it 2011?
1: Yeah.
0: You're right. All right. So, The Iron Lady from 2011, directed by Felita Lloyd. Is it Felita or Philida?
1: Philadelphia. I think. Philadelphia. Yeah.
0: It's great. I, I like that name. That's yeah, a really great. cool name. Who would also direct um, the Mamma Mia movies as well? Um, it's a biopic about Margaret Thatcher that won Meryl Streep her third Academy Award. Do you feel like doing a a synopsis for this one? It's basically a biopic, so I don't know. It's a little harder.
1: Yeah, I mean, the film begins with... Uh, Margaret, as as a much older lady, um, having resigned as prime minister several years before her husband's passed away, she's really entering into uh, dementia. She hallucinates her husband's existence. Her it's pretty clear that he's just passed away or recently passed away because she's having to uh, pack up his clothes and things from their home and and. Uh, Her daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, is there to help. And in the process of of packing up his things and um, sort of speaking with him in a hallucinatory manner, she flashes back essentially in chronological order to her youth with her dad and then on into young adulthood, meeting her husband, getting into politics, her rise in parliament, um, her election as prime minister and then her her i think 11 year 11 and a half year term as, as prime minister of of mm-hmm. England um all intercut with with her um, you know elderly um, there really aren't great plot points
0: <laughs> right besides <laughs> like historical
1: it's, things that actually happened to Margaret Thatcher right yeah right yeah
0: it's Margaret Margaret Thatcher's life story for the most part there are also of course a few um you know inaccuracies which we can talk about but um you know it's just a biopic throughout through and through um years before I guess not that long before but about a decade before uh jillian anderson would uh win all of the awards for playing margaret thatcher in the crown
1: you mean Um, after
0: well this was before that yeah
1: oh yeah yeah this is a decade before i'm following
0: yeah the, yeah the film the, it is interesting because you know since it, when this came out it feels like nowadays if this were being made if there was a project about margaret thatcher don't you think it'd be like a miniseries instead of a movie
1: absolutely and needed yeah. to be to be honest yep yeah
0: yep and actually, I, I don't know if there's been any talk of this, but after watching this, I was like, why don't they just spin off the crown and have Gillian Anderson keep doing the Margaret Thatcher thing? Like it's winning her every award. It's probably a super fun role to play. Yeah, she just do a 10 part series on Margaret Thatcher. He's yeah. great. There's enough there. Anyway, um, did you see this in the theater? What, what did you think then? What did you think now?
1: I never saw it in the theater. I have never seen it until I watched it for this podcast crazily enough.
0: Whoa. I didn't know that.
1: Right. I really, I was surprised at myself
0: yeah. that,
1: that I missed it, but you know what? 2011, I, that was the year I graduated from law school and <laughs> honestly, my life was in shambles, total shambles. I was so stressed studying for the bar. I, like, the whole year was just—it's um, like a fever dream. Looking back at it, and I like I moved cities in that year. I ended a relationship in that year. I was studying for the bar. I was working as a young associate and hated it. Like it was, yeah. So there wasn't a lot of movie going in 2011.
0: Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, what did you think of it now?
1: Um. I- it was just totally fine. Yeah. I was like, I was not, they cover so much ground that you don't get to really, um, swim in any one moment to, to relish the impact of any of it. Mm -hmm. There's some big stuff that happens to her and, and things that, you know, losing, losing her friend and colleague in an IRA bombing. This is like right. this is a big deal. Um, So traumatizing, so awful, but you don't. Not
0: to interrupt, but that's one of the inaccuracies in the film. Is she it? wasn't, she wasn't there when it happened.
1: Oh, well that would make sense. I questioned that when I was watching it. I was like, Margaret Thatcher's just hanging out in a parking garage. This doesn't yeah, seem
0: Yeah. No, Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, no, she was not there when that actually happened. She was told later. She had seen him, you know, not long before that, but um, yeah, she was, she was not there. She was, you know, she had official duties somewhere else. That, so that's that, what it that
1: irritates me even more because they were trying to give it emotional weight because they hadn't written a script in such a way that would give you the payoff you needed. Right, so, so to stick her in there would make it more, um, basically more emotional for the audience because they had not built the relationship between the two characters for his death to have impact on us otherwise. Sure. Um, and so that, I think there are issues like that. Also, when you continually flash between the past and, and the present, when she's um, really experiencing dementia, those moments that are supposed to be in the present, they're quite, um, they're they're quite they're thoughtful, right? And retrospective, but it stalls the momentum of the film constantly. <laughs> so you're flashing back, and you're getting little bits of her history, and then you're going back forward, and it's just stalling the movie. And so hmm. I really didn't. I just didn't emotionally engage much at all with the whole thing, but it could have been my headspace. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I hear what you're saying for me, how that played out was, well, first of all, I would say like in looking back at reviews that were again, like when the movie first came out, it's pretty unanimous in like, I'll, I'll sum it up in a sentence. So this is not like directly, but this is, I read so many reviews that were basically Meryl Streep is amazing. The movie's good you know like which it, basically it's not a was bad
1: that, movie right it's just there right it's totally serviceable.
0: yeah um i will say in in that it's interesting just as a counterpoint because i think i often kind of interpret things the same way in fact i feel like there was another movie that we did recently it might have been um, what's the name? Evening. I think it was evening that we were talking about that same thing that the flashbacks going back and forth really kind of hurt. Um, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but we talked about that with some recently. And yeah, so I think there's some, there's, there's a lot of instances in which that bothers me too. It didn't in this one because I think the way the movie's set up, like, I kind of don't really care all that much what's happening. I just like watching her do her Margaret Thatcher thing, if that makes any sense.
1: percent.
0: It almost makes it better in that way because you see her doing the old lady, Margaret Thatcher, then the young lady, Mar- like the performance is, is, like enhanced by that because you get to see how versatile she is in this role, which is really the main selling point of this movie, <laughs> you 100%. know, like i that's how, that's how I felt about it was like, you just, I would, This is, first of all, in my mind, the best old lady, uh, Meryl Streep, actually, that we've ever seen. Like, she's so good in the old lady parts of this,
1: you know. She's unbelievable. She's unbelievable. I have recently seen a couple stage performances in New York of actresses who have had to play um, older women and or younger, right? So they have to play a teenager or they have to play... um, like a 70 80 90 year old. I, it's atrocious. I don't know what happens, I don't know what happens in our psyche that allows us to not be able to tap into what it's like to be younger or older than we actually are. But it's definitely a gift and not every actor has it and she is really fantastic. Yep. She's so good.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's it's a remarkable performance it's Mm -hmm. and it's funny too because i feel like there there was a little bit of flack for her winning that oscar for two reasons one she already had two and so it was that whole thing of like did she really need another one which actually she references in her speech um the second one was this was the year that she was nominated against viola davis for the help which was like kind of the perceived front runner in a lot of ways now the help has also not aged particularly well.
1: Oh, and even Viola Davis has come out and said that she really regrets making the film. Right.
0: Right. So I, but at the time, I yeah. feel like there were a lot of people that thought it was Viola Davis who was going to win that. Um, I can't rem- I know um, Glenn Close was nominated for Albert Knobs, which just not enough people saw. Rooney Mara was up for um, the uh I think it was a girl with the dragon t- dragon tattoo, but I could be wrong. I think that's about right. And I think, I think the other nominee for the Oscars was Michelle Williams for my week with Merrill, And I think for the golden globe, which Meryl also won, I think it was Tilda Swinton instead of Michelle Williams, but um, you know, it was just a, a year where it wasn't the heaviest competition. Glenn Close is amazing. Having her win for Albert knobs is, you know, kind of meh, um, you know, Michelle Williams certainly deserves an Oscar my week with Marilyn is fine, but it's also not like the best work she's ever done. You know what I mean? It's just a year in which it wasn't probably um, a lot of people's kind of peak work, um, at least in terms of the nominated, um, you know, nominated films from that year. So I think it makes a lot of sense that she won this award. I, I, like she was just so good in this movie. She really was. She,
1: she really was. It's 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 a really astounding performance.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, there are there are a number of things that kind of are slightly problematic. But again, I feel like every review is basically like, in fact here. I'm gonna pull up a quote because I read one, um, that I thought was kind of interesting. Okay, I'm, this is directly from Wikipedia, so I'm just reading this. Uh, this is a quote. I'm not you okay. know. Yeah. It said, Roger Ebert gave the film two stars out of four, praising Streep's performance, but lamenting that she's all dressed up with nowhere to go in a film that cannot decide what it wants to say about Thatcher. Few people were neutral in their feelings about her, except the makers of this picture. That really resonated with me. Margaret Thatcher was like super controversial. And this film softens her. It's... It's like, I liked her more than I liked the real Margaret Thatcher. I mean, she's played by Meryl Streep, so it's hard not to, but also like Meryl Streep didn't agree with the politics of Margaret Thatcher. You know what I mean? Like there were a lot of things that, and there were certainly, she's not portrayed as being perfect necessarily, but I mean, like she's, I agree with basically what he said in that review. Like it's a very neutral film about somebody who was really not a neutral persona.
1: Yeah, I do think it's one of the reasons why they like glaze over her her sort of trajectory in politics. It's very like fast points in history. I think the most they spend on anything is the the um the Falkland Islands issue. Um and I I do think that those moments in the present when she's not prime minister and headed into dementia is a way of humanizing her and focusing on the human side of Margaret Thatcher as opposed to the political persona and her mm-hmm. political choices, that felt intentional to me because they just didn't know how to grapple with it. They, I mean, they do hit on it a little bit. Like, you, you know, she's not loved for her economic policies, but then she is
0: and right. then
1: she's making bad decisions and she's making great decisions and she's making bad decisions again and she's out. <laughs> yeah
0: but for context like margaret thatcher's kids like you know said they i uh, they kind of made it sound like they had never watched it which margaret thatcher was still alive when this movie came out and also said she you know she probably did watch it i mean don't you assume they of course watch it even if they say they don't i would assume so but maybe not
1: no but who knows
0: but margaret thatcher apparently her her line was she said she never watches anything in which she's portrayed you know she doesn't watch those kind of portrayals i guess i could see that but
1: um, i don't think i watched anything where i was portrayed not that i would be but i don't i uh, kids is a different story i think if my mother was portrayed in something i'd want to watch it
0: well they kind of slammed it and said you know it sounds like some far left fantasy um if you're listening it's not a far left anything you know no. what i mean like if anything books fine you know what this reminded me of did you ever watch this is a total tangent but um did you ever watch game change that HBO documentary about Sarah Palin that Julianne Moore was in
1: I didn't I know same
0: thing same thing Sarah Palin you know it was kind of like right after that whole thing and Sarah Palin was like my least favorite person in the world uh, at that point I watched that movie and I was like oh she's not so bad (laughs) <laughs> and it was funny because, like, Sarah Palin, I'm sure at the time, was talking about, like, Holly Weird, you know, making, like, do they have any awareness that, like, sometimes it's actually a good thing <laughs> that these are made?
1: I'll just never forget Tina Fey. I can see Russia from my house.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> there was probably a lot of that going on with Tina Fey, or uh with Sarah Palin at the time. So yeah. I... I they maybe blend. Like, yeah, what Tina Fey did to Sarah Palin was probably actually cost her some votes, but I don't think Game Change did. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody watched it and was like, oh, Sarah Palin, what a terrible person. If anything, it made her seem a little bit more human. I'm not saying I like her. I'm just saying it like yeah. softened her a little bit to me. Yeah,
1: you, know? you can like understand. Yes, yeah, some motivation. I do think this movie did that. I think you see think Margaret Roots. Um, and how how she formed her sort of political ethos. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's quite simplistic. I think overall the film is quite simplistic because there are some pretty heady political issues and and, and problems that occurred <laughs> during her reign that they were like, woo, let's just, we don't know how to handle this in one movie. Again, it needs to be a series. <laughs> so let's just dance right over that
0: and actually you know it would be interesting because there have been again i'm not thinking of anything specific maybe if i say it you'll something will jog your brain but i feel like there have been films made about like instead of trying to tackle somebody's entire administration or something they tackle three days like an important three days or whatever that might have been a better choice here
1: yeah i well and there was there was enough focus on the on the on the islands that I felt like that issue in particular would have been a good one to focus on
0: yeah yeah I mean the the fact that they were staying in that hotel that was about I think it was a hotel I forget that building that was bombed
1: oh yeah in Brighton which I think that
0: happened I think that's real um you know that in and of itself is interesting that was like something that happened and then you saw their facial reactions to it and that's it you know what I mean oh. like they they were nearly killed in that. That's yeah,
1: and great. and you don't see the emotional aftermath of those moments at all because right. you flash forward back to her. Yeah, it really does. It does take the punch out of the movie. Everything the, the tire just keeps getting deflated. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although now to, to flip it because I quite I quite enjoy this movie to tell you the truth. Um, to flip it, I will also say this is a movie that uh, I clicked on the timer. I was like, oh, this feels like it's almost at the end, but it can't be. I, I'm at most halfway through. And it was like 15 minutes from the end. This movie flies by, at least for me. Yeah. Like it, It's only
1: an hour and 45 minutes long.
0: Yeah. It's it's a super watchable movie. Super watchable. Very. I, boring. I mean, no, 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 not at all. And I mean, I, I, I think there's something to that too that kind of goes against what we've been arguing here, which is that. You could go the other way with this. Like if it's turned into a series, there's a chance it would be boring instead of what it certainly is not, which is this film is not boring, like you said. So, like, you know, you could dive in and, and get in depth with some of these things, but how how relevant is a lot of it now? There's a lot of 80s, you know, politics and a lot of stuff that was relevant then. And it's, it's interesting in a historical perspective, but... Um, You know, the stuff that is most unique, of course, is are like the gender issues of the time, the gender politics. And of course, she was a groundbreaker and and a trailblazer in a lot of ways Um, that that's another thing that was quite exaggerated in the film. There's a lot of scenes in which when she's arguing something, it's literally only men that are on the floor with her. And they said pretty consistently. And I also noticed there's like a color palette thing where all the men were in like black or gray suits and she was wearing like a bright blue dress. Yeah. So it like really popped on screen. And um, in her administration, there was, I think it said something like between 19 and 41 women were always part of the floor there too. So it wasn't quite as black and white as it seemed in the film. Right. You know, there are moments. an interesting choice. Yeah, I thought so too. you
1: why, like is the point to make her look as if she's faced more adversity than she has? Because I don't think having other women in the room does that. I I agree. So uh, it's very interesting that the filmmakers felt like they needed to negate the existence of other women in order to make Margaret Thatcher's plight look harder. I mean, I don't think there's any question that she had a lot on her plate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Let's talk about this. There are, we've talked about Meryl's performance. There are also three other actors in here. I mean, there are some great actors in this movie, but three people who I just think are incredible in this movie. Olivia Coleman plays her daughter.
1: There are so many, there there was just like surprise after surprise since I've okay. never seen it. I'm like, at all these wonderful actors.
0: It's so good. Jim Broadbent, who I think is incredible, I think he is so good, uh, is her husband. And Richard E. Grant has a small role as well. Um, I mean, like this movie, now granted, it was be- before Olivia Coleman was like, Olivia Coleman, But, you know, right. she did get, uh, did you notice at the, I think it was actually the beginning, maybe. I can't remember if it was beginning credits or the end credits, but it said Meryl Streep, Jim Broadbent, and Olivia Colman, and then the title. So she was, you know, a big enough deal that she got the before the title
1: thing. Yeah. Well, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in there.
0: Yeah, in yep, that was another 15. one I was seeing.
1: Do yep. um, you know who I loved? I thought Alexandra Roach, who plays younger Margaret Thatcher, was quite good. I liked her and the, and they did, they really did a beautiful job with, with costuming hair and makeup. That's real. I mean, that's another shining star. And I remember when Meryl Streep won, I I do believe she thanked her makeup yep. team and, and hair team during her speech. I mean, it's, it's pretty stellar for, I mean, you're thinking 11, 11 years ago. The, yeah. It was just astounding what they did. How how her face moves with those prosthetics—that's really challenging.
0: Yep, yeah. and he uh, he did win the best makeup Oscar that night as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, those,
0: those were Cleared. the two the two wins. I think I think I don't know if they do. They probably do best makeup at the Golden Globes. I think they won at the Golden Globes as well. But yeah, yes, Roy Hell, I think is his name. Um, yeah. I'm not looking at it, but I think. Um, oh wait here we go yeah oh two people jay roy helland and mark coulier won for best makeup at the academy awards um they won for best hair and makeup at the baftas they're they're nominated for all of these things i guess golden globes they either weren't nominated or maybe they don't have that category at the golden globes i don't know um and so meryl won basically all, all the all the big ones except for the screen actors um, guild award which viola davis won but meryl won the bafta golden globe and the oscar for this um
1: very well deserved
0: yeah do you have favorite scenes in this film
1: i have two (laughs) one meryl is not in it's actually alexander roach and um the the man who plays her husband young um okay I know the actor by face, but I don't know his name. Um, when he asked her to marry him and she kind of panics (laughs) and says, I can't, this is me definitely paraphrasing. She was like, I'm, I'm not going to stay at home and be trapped and, and only be your wife. (laughs) Like I want to do something with my life. And he's like, that's why I want to marry you. And I was like, this is I love that. Um, My favorite Merrill moment is when she uh, is forced to resign as prime minister and she's walking down um, an aisle. It's covered in rose petals. But anyway, there's a shot of her face and she's just overcome with emotion and has to bury it. And her husband is standing behind her and just says, you know, buck up. And she like gathers all of her strength and like goes out the door of Downing Street. That was my favorite moment. I was like, I was like, it's a lot. Hold it together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there are some there are some really, really good scenes in this. I I don't know. I mean, I have a couple that I love the scene. It was the one that they showed basically whenever she was doing press which she did a ton of for this one she did she went on all the talk shows it seems like for this one it's funny how that happens like certain ones they do a lot of press and other ones they don't but yeah. um the kind of big scene where she kind of yells at a room full of guys and then says now shall i play mother you know how do you like your tea you know she a lot of those scenes um uh, one thing i was going to say a moment ago when we were talking about the the floor i don't know that correct verbiage for uh basically how parliament works Mm -hmm. you know if it's the poor all of that we always think of here as you know or the senate or the you know whatever yeah Uh, i will say and i'm curious if you feel the same i've seen this portrayed in other films but this is the first one in a while and it really like i got tense watching some of those scenes and i it's there are a few times like i think american politics especially over the last few years are so heated and so like ridiculous and so extreme but aren't you glad that like, at least on the floor of the Senate and House, they don't just all scream all the time. That is so stressful.
1: It's so intense. It's like a boxing
0: ring. It is, that's a perfect analogy. They're like, it's two sides, it's two speakers who like, yell at each other back and forth. It's, it's I, I like, that's, there are certain things. And I guess our system, I don't know if our system is actually better designed to get results necessarily. But like the kind of chaos that comes from that doesn't seem particularly helpful in terms of like needing to make concessions. Like both sides need to make concessions from time to time, and like when it's everything is framed in the like height of debate and the height of like you know I'm right and you're wrong.
1: Like you're and not those gonna... insults.
0: Yeah, you're not really going to accomplish all that much. I wouldn't think in that format. You know, yeah. like it. I, it seemed. I don't know. I guess. It seemed just chaotic to me, so I'm glad our system is set up a little bit differently from that. To tell you the truth, who would have thought that I would ever find American politics to be superior?
1: Who would have thought that American politics would be more civil? Right. <laughs> well, at least I should say, at least in the in in Congress, I like in the actual, but definitely right. not behind closed doors or in the media. <laughs> Although I see
0: now I don't know. I mean, this is again, this is not related to the podcast, but I mean, like we've heard stories for years about like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham being friends with Joe Biden. Like, I think that happens sometimes where like it's played up and they like, you know, take shots at each other, but like are also perfectly like fine. I'm sure there are people the extremists i'm sure marjorie taylor green doesn't have a whole bunch of friends on the democratic side and i'm sure aoc doesn't have a whole bunch of friends on the republican side you know what i mean like there are people who are you know not suited for that maybe or not suited is the wrong way of putting it but you know there are people who are so kind of forceful in what they believe and I also don't want to imply that I think AOC is forceful I actually think she's very polite I'm I just mean that I think there are people who are so threatened
1: by quite outspoken and that bothers people on the right right. for sure
0: yeah um so
1: yeah anyway I all
0: this was talking about my what (laughs) a couple of my favorite scenes but I just thought every time Meryl Streep was playing older, I don't know what it was in, in this film, but like she was just like so in a zone with with her performance. It's really something.
1: It's also super trippy because she looks so much like, I've always thought like in, in every movie, she looks a lot like my aunt. Um, but with that makeup on, there was some like it changed the shape of her face slightly and she looked even more like her and it was super trippy. Hmm. It's a little, little, a little fact for everybody. Yeah, I, but I can't say Margaret Thatcher and my aunt have anything in common. Like they don't look would, like. Oh. I would, I would <laughs> it's definitely that. Meryl Streep.
0: <laughs> that's the whole. That's the whole conundrum. Then, um, this film did quite well. It was a budget of thirteen million, and the box office worldwide was about hundred and sixteen million. So it made over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Most of that, I think it only made something like 15. I don't have that info in front of me, but it only made like 15 or 16, I believe, here in the United States. It was fine, you know, it you know, it didn't lose any money, but it also, oh no, sorry, it grossed 30 million in North America. So yeah, it made 15 from its original 13, and it made about 85 million in other markets so I mean you would imagine that in the UK this is probably where a lot of the interest for this film was you know yeah. kind of a more awareness of that, I would assume but it also seemed like there were a. I, I guess maybe there is nothing to this but I I feel like maybe at the time there was probably some a little bit of chatter about like an American playing a Brit kind of thing in the same way that sometimes you know the reverse happens and people aren't always so thrilled about that I don't know
1: i uh, off the top of my head there are only two actors i've ever heard do a british accent truly decently like a lot of actors are consistent but there's still something just a little off about the accent it's like a fake british accent but meryl streep and renee zellweger are the only two i've ever watched where i'm like completely convinced they're british
0: Hmm. yeah Her, her, her accent is it's excellent yeah, that's that's
1: right on. She just captures Margaret Thatcher's voice so well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and a lot of that, you know, kind of uh again, it's it's really into the gender politics of it, and, and I mean, this shit is still happening, I'm sure. But like some of the stuff that they address in terms of like her being, I'm putting this in in air quotes here, but shrill, you know, that whole idea of her like needing to to lower the timber of her voice. And I mean, we hear about that sometimes with like Elizabeth Holmes, like who's, you know like in the news right now, like there's something that powerful, you know, thing of like what happens when you lower your register and all of that. Yeah, uh, I don't know, all of that's in play in kind of interesting ways. I don't know, I really do think this is a good movie.
1: Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It just doesn't pack as much punch as you want, I think. Yeah. Like you just, I wanted to be emotionally invested. I really wasn't. I felt like an outside observer. And I, um, I mean, Meryl Streep gives it so much heart. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's not enough because it's not quite in the writing.
0: Yeah. I will say um, to me, one of the things that is indicative of like whether something was successful is I think we both agree like we want more like we would have loved this as a miniseries there are a lot of not I'm not talking about Meryl movies but I mean there are a lot of movies where like you just want it to be shorter like if they'd have trimmed 15 minutes if they'd have done this you know the fact that we're asking for more I think means something here
1: yeah I think so too I think so too um because it's not it's compelling thank you yeah it is. If
0: for no other too reason. To trim. Right. Yeah. If for no other reason than the incredible performances, it's compelling. You know, like it's just watching people really at the top of their craft play stuff that's pretty good, some pretty good scenes. You know, yeah. when you're watching the best there ever is play, you know, some good stuff, that's great. You know?
1: I think the problem too, now that I think about it, I, I want it to say something about Margaret Thatcher. It, it really doesn't. Besides like, oh, hey, everybody, she was human. Right. But it, it's, it just refuses to sort of take a stance. It, like it kind of starts to, like you see where she where she developed, you know, where her sort of ethos got its roots, how she became the person she did. That's all there, but it's like unwilling to go a step further and lean into that. I do think they could have done that unapologetically and not, it would have improved the film. It would have improved the film. I think they were afraid to because Margaret Thatcher is not universally loved. She's extremely controversial and I would say hated by some people, Uh, a lot of people. Her policies were not super uh, embraced. I don't know. It's like they were, they, were afraid, they were afraid to stand behind her as a human being who made those choices. And I think that's where they lose out.
0: And what's funny is, I mean, this kind of brings us full circle because that's kind of where we started was talking about that very thing. And it's interesting, too, because the people who were going to hypothetically be offended by that take on it were also the ones who just apparently didn't see this movie anyway because they just assumed it was going to be that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's people who just were like, "Oh, that sounds like a far left bullshit thing," and nope, that's not what it was actually. And this what's was
1: interesting. Is that if you do that, if you lean into it and say, "Okay, let's take a position that that we have no judgment towards Margaret Thatcher whatsoever," and let's let's truly investigate why she believed these were the right choices for the country, and dig into that that is not saying you're pro-Margaret Thatcher's policies. That's digging into the rationale as to why she did what she did. And I don't know, I think it allows those of us who are more liberal leaning to have a better understanding of her choices. That doesn't necessarily make us love her or change our minds, right? I I don't don't think it was gonna have the impact they thought it was gonna have if they did that.
0: All right, so- this film is at a 6.4 on IMDb, which has, that's, you know, that's all right. That has it tied with Mamma Mia in the River Wild. So there's a lot of stuff above it. This is kind of, you know, in the bottom, like two thirds of her uh, films. It's above like Hope Springs, Dancing at Lunasa, Lions for Lambs, Prime, Before and After. So that seems about right. Yeah. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it is a 52%. And it's the only one of her movies uh, that's 52. So it's right in between Death Becomes Her and "Prime" on that one, which is, I don't know okay, I, what it is. Um, shall I read a one-star review? To tell you the truth, I didn't find like any funny ones. There are people who are basically making a lot of similar points. Um,
1: okay. Here,
0: I'll just read a short one that's a little bit more riled up. This is from Jonathan Levine, UK. Disgraceful Hollywood Money is Financing a Dog of a Film is the title. Awful characterization. How did this film get financed? The director, Phyllida Lloyd, in cahoots with the scriptwriter, led her days at Birmingham University in the late 70s, which is near British coal mines, the swore enemies of Thatcher, get in the way of directing this potentially rich subject. She somehow managed to totally ruin this film. Disgraceful, tasteless film, pandering to the liberal left of politics as the end result fortunately thatcher is bigger than this idiot director and scriptwriter. rarely am i so moved to be furious enough to comment and that's and that's such a bad portrayal by a politically motivated individual makes its way to hollywood hype i'm not sure that made sense. that made any sense sir but okay
1: maybe i take back my previous comment about really leaning into <laughs> a lot
0: of a lot of these are making the points that we were which is that yeah Meryl's really good in this, but the script just kind of isn't, there's a lot of stuff that's a little bit off. One common thread that I'm noticing in these reviews too is they wish it would focus less on like this hypothetical relationship she may have had with her husband in this like dementia state and more on like stuff she actually did. Like if you're right. going to make a historical film make it about, you know, like historical events rather than like you know, surmising all of this
1: It almost felt like a way to do a movie about Margaret Thatcher that wasn't controversial. It's like, how can we let an actor really dig into this meaty role without blowing up the world?
0: (laughs) Right, but that's the point. Like, why do you make a a controversial figure? Why do you make a non-controversial movie about a controversial figure?
1: Correct. It does, like, yeah. It just didn't, it ran out of gas. It just didn't.
0: Does this mean that in, like, 20 years, they may make a totally middle-of-the-road movie about Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Is that <laughs> possible? I hope not. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I can see how you could do it about, like, Reagan. I'm not sure. I'm not sure anybody could ever make a blasé film about Donald Trump.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That's just... Anyway. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. All right. Shall we go on to Six Degrees or Movies We Wish? meryl was in yeah do you
1: want to do rankings first
0: oh thank you yes absolutely
1: i mean i had to like call that out because guys i did mine (laughs) i am not pushing it off to the next episode zach was very kindly reminded me that this is our 50th review and that i need to get on top of my shit that's not what he said he was very nice (laughs) but (laughs) i was like like
0: you don't have to do it, but we kind of promise, you know, like if you're feeling it.
1: (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, The problem is, is the last time I wrote, wrote down my rankings, we were at 35 films. And then I have ranked since then in our episodes, but I've never written it down. Um, So I definitely had some research to do to figure it out, but I did.
0: Let's hear it. Do you want to go through your lists? Let's just,
1: do you want me to like read them in Like the whole thing all 50 I think so Okay I can do that um, <laughs> Now some are a little vague And I had to caveat Like I had to or disclaimer I should say I had to place a few With limited memory Of the film Suffragette being one I honestly can't remember a thing about the film Or her performance
0: Written by the same person who did The Iron Lady By the way
1: Right Um, So I just sort of tossed it in there. I have no idea. (laughs) Meryl had
0: a really great scene in that movie.
1: Right. So, okay. So of Meryl's performances, I've got Sophie's Choice, The Post, which we have to revisit because I'm I'm lost as to why The Post remains at the top, but it really does. So it must have been, like, great.
0: Oh, it's so good. I'm not... She's by that at all.
1: Okay, good. Okay, Sophie's Choice, The Post, Julie and Julia, A Cry in the Dark, Devil Wears Prada, Bridges of Madison County, Iron Lady, Postcards from the Edge, Adaptation, Big Little Lies Season 2. That's my top 10. I'm very surprised Big Little Lies Season 2 is in my top 10, but it is. It's in mine too. Awesome. Okay, so the next let's see the next 10 are out of africa kramer versus kramer the hours french lieutenant's woman uh, manchurian candidate river wild mama mia two plenty maybe uh florence foster jenkins and mama mia okay um, and then after that i've got silkwood let them all talk prime Music of the Heart, Into the Woods, It's Complicated, Little Women, Heartburn, Deer deer Hunter, Death Becomes Her, Falling in Love, Prairie Home Companion, Ricky and the Flash, Doubt, Dancing at Lunasa, Suffragette, Because Why Not, First Do No Harm, She Devil, Evening, The Prom, The Laundromat, Iron Weed, House of Spirits, Mary Poppins Returns, Defending Your Life, Manhattan, Before and After, Still of the Night, Julia, Don't Look Up, and The Homesman.
0: I would all I was thinking of the whole time was which one is bottom don't look up or the I knew it was one of those
1: two. <laughs> I was like yeah do way down there.
0: Can I, um, can I comment one thing actually two things really quickly just on that um one is the only real surprise I have in your list there is how low doubt is to tell you the truth.
1: I know it was accidental because it's so good and honestly I don't know I honestly can't Prairie Home Companion and Falling in Love were weird placements like I because I can't quite I ranked after the fact
0: Falling in Love we both were like pleasantly surprised by like how not that
1: I remember really liking really liking it uh Prairie Home Companion I remember was slightly problematic because of Garrison Keillor yeah. But Meryl Streep's quite good in it. Yeah. Um, um should be higher.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you you do you. I would just that's one thing that's successful. I might
1: move it because I feel like I like her performance in doubt better than I like her performance in it's complicated. Not that I dislike it, I love it. And yeah. into the So I think doubt's probably gonna move up. I think that's a good we're gonna move doubt.
0: The, the only other thing I was going to say is one another thing we have in common here, which is that when I was doing my list, I was like, oh, you know, I was thinking of the Oscar thing because hypothetically, the ones she's won an Oscar for should be pretty high or at least in our top 10. But neither of us has Kramer versus Kramer in our top 10. And I'm glad we're together on that. We have it just outside the top 10. We're both like 12, 13, somewhere in there. But, you know, she won an Oscar for that movie. We're saying there's like 10 better that she didn't win an Oscar for it. Although that's the pretty small part too, but anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm moving doubt to number 14 after the hours. Okay.
0: That's a huge um, jump.
1: It's a huge jump because I, I mean, I remember her performance in doubt. It is excellent. I'm, I must have, I wonder if I honestly, I was probably reacting to the subject matter. I mean, her character sure. is so intense. I may have kept her down on the list because you know, blind spot but
0: <laughs> well, it's i think what we talked about with that one is it's not as much fun to see kind of like having no fun meryl as it is to see like joyful meryl
1: exactly yeah exactly so i i moved that and i can go through the films as well if you want let's do it okay we're gonna go all 50 i'm gonna like speed read folks so be prepared the hours still remains at number one Little Women at number two, Uh, Sophie's Choice, Bridges of Madison County, Postcards from the Edge, Kramer versus Kramer, The Post, Adaptation, A Cry in the Dark, (laughs) and I don't know why, but Florence Foster Jenkins, sets at number 10. (laughs) I feel like this is one we need to revisit. Yeah, we're going to have to revisit that. I clearly had some sort of like great emotional response to it.
0: Well, and see, mine, it's really low. We talked about that the last episode. I, I went through and I was like, why is Florence Sponsor Jenkins so low on mine? So it's really high on yours and really low on
1: Yeah, it's almost like I just didn't move it as we start to slot these things in. because I, I, mean, I don't think, I mean, looking at her, at her body of work as a whole, and, and this is just the quality of film, right? Like how I like the film, but right. not necessarily right. Meryl. I'm not sure that that would land right. top 10, but it's right. there for now. The next are Doubt, Silkwood, Out of Africa, The Deer Hunter, Big Little Lies Season Two, Devil Wears Prada, Mama Mia, French Lieutenant's Woman, Iron Lady, Mary Poppins Returns, Into the Woods, Julia and Julia, Mama Mia Two, uh, Yep, Mamma Mia Two, River Wild, Prime, Evening, Falling in Love, Manchurian Candidate, It's Complicated, Death Becomes Her, Music of the Heart, Defending Your Life, Ironweed, Let Them All Talk, Dancing at Lunasa suffragette because i can't remember it the laundromat house of the spirits heartburn first do no harm ricky and the flash perry home companion julia she devil the prom plenty don't look up still of the night before and after the homesman and manhattan
0: all right so don't look up is a little higher on the movies
1: yeah well manhattan is an atrocious excuse for a film and will always beat out the men as the worst movie ever made <laughs> yeah.
0: nice thank you for doing that yeah um i i will give my rankings for iron lady and uh what was the last one we did
1: dancing at Lunita?
0: dancing at lunica yes i will do my rankings thank you I will do my rankings for Iron Lady and Dancing at Lunasa because I didn't in the last one. Um, In performances, I put Iron Lady at five. I think about where you had it. Yep. Uh, Dancing at Lunasa is a lot lower at 36. Uh, For films for me, I have, I got to find it. Where did I put it here? Iron Lady in the film category is 19.
1: Oh, it's 19 for me too.
0: Is it? And Dancing at Lunasa is number 37 for me.
1: Uh, where do I have it? I've got it at 35. Okay. But so we're pretty close. And the same with performances. I've got Dancing at Lunasa at 35.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we uh, you know, there's really zero question at this point that Don't Look Up is going to be the biggest discrepancy. But we also put a caveat on there that I probably wouldn't make you rewatch that movie.
1: <laughs> Very- I will. I will. In service of this podcast, we I will.
0: Very visceral reaction to that one. So I don't want to make you go through that again, but it, it'll be interesting to see what else, um, you know, has that. Anyway. Um, okay. Now should we do our other segments or six degrees and movies? We wish Meryl was in.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Speaking of don't look up. How so? One of my six degrees.
0: Oh, Kate Blanchett.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would yeah. too.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah elizabeth yeah jeffrey rush was in elizabeth with kate blanchett who was sorry i didn't mean i totally stole your thunder on that
1: no no you didn't no it's okay it's no thunder to be stolen <laughs> i gave you i gave you the hook i was like i tossed you the um yeah and the only other one i thought of was uh jeffrey rush is in king's speech with colin firth who's in mama mia oh, both of them
0: those are the ones I had, to. I'm sure there are other ones. Um, he's one of those people who's been in enough stuff. Um, and enough good stuff, too. Although Jeffrey Rush, I think, has had some allegations against him as well. So I feel, he like, he, I feel like he's maybe not worked as much in the last few years. But um, anyway, we don't even need to dive into that. Well, who is our next Six Degrees person?
1: Well, we decided in honor of Top Gun, we'll do Miles Teller.
0: Yeah, which I think will be. Can't okay.
1: do Tom Cruise. He's been in a movie with Meryl.
0: Yeah. That's true. Um, Jennifer Conley, we could have done, but yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Isn't she so great in it? She's so good.
0: Well, here's the thing with Jennifer. Well, I don't know. It's, it's always female roles in those, like you just wanted more of her.
1: Absolutely. She, she needed more. Yeah, I wanted more of her and I wanted more of Miles Teller. See I didn't
0: I didn't necessarily feel the same way about it. I thought Miles Hollow was good and I'm not complaining about that but it is interesting to I guess yeah you're right I could see that like another even scene Even just
1: or- like a, just like you know what just even um, even just a few more lines of dialogue in that scene where um, he's asking him why he Yeah like anything yeah, I listen, I wanted more of all of it. I could have sat there for another half hour. I am an unabashed fan of Top Gun, the original, and um, I would have been on board for it. So maybe there will be a director's cut and I'm on board for that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, there's gotta be tons of footage. Doesn't this make you like, cannot wait for the next Mission Impossible movies? There's two of them they've already gotten the can.
1: So, you know, they somebody leaked the trailer did oh you really? Somebody no. leaked the trailer, so they had to go ahead and officially release it. And then um, when I went to see Top Gun, they put the trailer in the theaters, so I got to watch the Mission Impossible. It looks excellent. Wow. I am so excited.
0: I did not know that they did. They definitely did not play the trailer for Mission Impossible at the one that I went to. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, there it's were- like eight months early, so yeah. it was definitely a leak
0: there are a lot of trailers before that movie, and that was not one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were. We had a lot too.
0: We had, I think, seven or eight different trailers. Oh,
1: crazily, my mom and sister went to see it in New Mexico, and there were no trailers. It just went straight to Tom Cruise's message. Wow! Isn't that crazy? My yeah, sister said, like did this on purpose because it's
0: really cool. What was Tom Cruise's message?
1: Oh, did you not see? Did was it not at the beginning of yours? He's like we we put a lot of time and effort and love into this film. We're really excited. He's like sitting and talking to the camera. His hair is kind of shaggy. No, and he's like, enjoy the film. No. Oh, I wonder if it's a New York thing. No, because my sister had it in New Mexico. He's Close. yeah. There's like a like a interview message from him before the film. And it's after that, I think it's after that you see the the Paramount stars go over the mountain with the music.
0: No, that was not part of it. Weird that there's like different trailers. I assumed like they sent it to the movie theaters as one package thing that like went to everybody exactly the same, but apparently not. Weird. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Movies we wish Meryl was in. Do we have any? Oh, hmm
1: oh god i would have totally watched her in top gun <laughs> <laughs> she could she could have been maverick's mother <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> um no i don't know i haven't i haven't given it any thought okay how about you I've got,
0: I've got a cheater one because she could hypothetically do this they just announced jodie foster is in the new uh, true detective yeah and you know it's always like a two detective sort of situation I think her and Meryl um, paired up.
1: That'd be cool. I think I gave up on the True Detective series after season two. Season one, in retrospect, is problematic. And speaking of somebody else who's had allegations, Carrie Fukunaga. Um, yeah, I,
0: I don't know who that is.
1: He's the director. He, he, oh. did, he directed um, the most recent James Bond film, The... I know he did season one of true detective. I'm not sure if he did season two. I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jane Eyre with, um, Michael Flassbender and Mia, Wies- uh, Maya was Wies- a I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, beautiful director, but has definitely had some huh. allegations made.
0: We were, we were, uh, texting about how long it's been and we talked about the people whose careers have been shattered since last we spoke you know he was <laughs> one of them to know who that is but yeah Frank Langella went down somebody else went down besides Will Smith um
1: Matthew Morrison just got yeah fired from Say so You Think You Can Dance um although he is very adamantly defending himself reading text messages like on on social media he, he's out there He's not joking around. So I'm curious to see how that plays, around, plays out. Um, yeah, a lot of people. Somebody else got fired from a project. Oh, Bill Murray.
0: Oh, yeah. Bill Murray's a big one.
1: I love it how Frank Langella and Bill Murray's response to allegations as well. It's a different time. <laughs> this was all OK. I was like, it wasn't OK then either, gentlemen. It's just nobody could speak up.
0: Yeah, here's, here's what I noticed. It was funny because we were talking about Frank Langella in our last episode because I had just listened to his audio book oh um, yeah frank langella had like he basically said all the things you shouldn't say his respect it was terrible this like oh you know basically he did the whole like the woke mob is coming for me bullshit which is funny because i don't think that's his politics unless he's changed his politics since his book came out but like he came across as pretty leftist and all of a sudden now it's like you know the woke mob is coming at me. Uh, Bill Murray said a few of the right things. Overall, he did kind of try to excuse it as like, he's just from a different era kind of bullshit. But like, he did say a few of the right things. He did say, I, I, I'm I, paraphrasing, but I remember him saying, you know, something like, if I made people uncomfortable, I need to change my behavior, which is, you know. That's
1: right, yep. That
0: is the right thing to say, yeah. This like, they're just out to get me, bullshit. I didn't hear him say that. So
1: yeah, you know. thank goodness. Thank goodness.
0: He, he has a chance of coming back. Frank Langella. It's probably time to retire or start doing just those direct to video movies with Mel Gibson and call it a day.
1: Yeah. Oh god. The other thing happening right now, which we don't need to get into, was quite shocking. Is the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial? Oh my god. The response to Amber Heard is so vicious. It's it's hard to stomach. It it really is. It's. Interesting because,
0: I mean, I have not watched a single second of any of that coverage on purpose. I
1: I have not watched The Trial either. I I refuse to. As somebody who
0: doesn't have much, I mean, like, I think Johnny Depp's a great actor. I'm also not, like, a super fan of his by any stretch. I'm not somebody who, like, will go out of my way to defend him. Um, And I really have nothing at stake with Amber Heard just because I haven't seen her in very much. Um, It is it's a weird situation because maybe it's my, maybe it is the public perception. It seems like she's very clearly like at least an equal aggressor in all of this, but there does seem to be a lot of that, like just really wanting to tear somebody down, like destroy somebody thing with her. That's really kind of interesting.
1: I think it's interesting. There seems to be a dynamic that um, if you're a woman and a, and abused or a victim, that you you have to you have to be the right kind of victim. You have to be an angel. You have to be one hundred percent innocent. You there can be no gray space there. If you um, if you <laughs> threw a bottle at somebody's head in your own defense, or have a mental illness or a personality disorder which I think it's pretty clear that she does, um, all of a sudden she becomes a liar. I'm like, right. I, and, and I don't think she got the best uh, representation. I didn't watch all of the footage, both sides seem, I mean, I did see some of the clips of the lawyers making some pretty bad gaffes. Um, you know, like her attorney objected to his own question. It's a problem. Like, yeah. <laughs> Asked Johnny Depp a question on the stand and then objected to himself. Like, astounding. Wow. <laughs> um, And so I just, it's just really hard to see that there's no... There's just there's just no grace or patience given to her at all or how the abuse she has suffered up to this date has formed her, her response and the way she behaves. And uh, listen, they were, I mean, it's very clear that they were both abusive.
0: Right, that's the thing is- they That both doesn't
1: were- make what she said not true.
0: I feel like they just both came off as terrible people. And you gotta wonder like, why, why go through this so publicly? Why go through this so publicly when you know that like neither one of you is gonna come up, off?
1: Well, see well. that's the thing is, I think that, that reeks to me of abuse by him as well. He lost this trial in the UK when he sued the publication for defamation. And, and this, she did write the op-ed, but I don't think she named him. And of course, everyone knows about him, but this this lawsuit just felt like, let's dig the knife in a little different because I just can't stand that she was declared right. I can't take it. Like it like it was literally on principle and it's brought such bad publicity to both of them. Yeah. Um, and I hate that the headlines, there are so many headlines out there that are like Johnny Depp won. So did she. She countersued him for defamation and she won her case too. So they Hmm. both, they both were awarded damages. Now he was awarded more, but the headlines are so like, people are just, oh man, the team Johnny thing. Oh, it just kills me. It just kills me how we're willing to watch people's mental illness and on display as entertainment. It really makes me sick to my stomach.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I don't like where any of this is going, (laughs) you know, like where we are as a, no, I don't mean the conversation, I mean like where the, oh yeah, yeah, uh, none of this is pleasant, you know, and it's, it's, it circles back to the, to the uh, Will Smith thing, because I saw a lot of that too. There's a lot of people out there trying to blame Jada Pinkett Smith, which (sighs) I mean, I guess I kind of threw shaded her too, because I was talking about like something happened in that moment based on her reaction. I don't know what happened, but like there's something, there's something not quite right. And, you know, there are women who like, I don't know. I guess there is a scenario in which she could be the problem, but like what happened was between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Like in what scenario are you trying to put this on Jada Pinkett Smith? You know, like
1: why,
0: why is the the one woman who's like, I don't know, it just yeah.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I just, I just, my hope is that everyone just starts to have a little more grace for each other. You know, these are really difficult times we're having, you know, Oh God, so many shootings, school shootings and everyone's so angry that the pandemic has just, and our politics has just really done a number. And I just would like us all to take a breath, a collective breath.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we invite you to do that now.
1: Yes. A- <laughs> Take ten have seconds. A- Breathe in deeply.
0: Yes. Um. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for sticking with us for fifty reviews plus some um that you know tribute episodes and all sorts of fun stuff along the way. We don't have that many left, but we will we will be back to round them out. You know, we still have probably a year left in us at this point. But yeah. you know, my by- all right, we have a year or so of episodes, probably, but who knows? Um, and we can go forever on the tribute episodes, but um,
1: um, I'm so thankful to everyone who listens to this podcast. I, it is truly exciting, I think, for both of us. But, and but but I get so excited when I see that we've had like 10,000 listeners on an episode because yeah. we really just started this with the idea that we would talk about meryl street because we love her but we had zero expectations for the podcast beyond us just memorial memorializing our love for meryl street so we're so glad you're joining us
0: yeah it's like anything else we started it not knowing if anybody would care truly Mm -hmm. not anybody would find this and listen to it but um yeah it's great that people have and it's great to hear from people you can always write us meryl street podcast at gmail.com Yeah. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back. We didn't say what the next movie is We're going to do Marvin's room. Yeah. Which is kind of an underrated one. I think that's a pretty good one.
1: I'm excited. I have not seen it in over 15 years. So it's a good one. It's a good one.
0: All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening and we will be back soon.
1: Bye. That's all.